I acknowledge that I made this recording on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past and present. These elders lead by nurturing the physical, spiritual, mental and emotional well-being of the communities they serve. Welcome to The Lead Candidate, the show where we aim to understand what makes for a great leader in science. I'm your host, Dr. Simona Carboni. Hi, thanks for joining me again on The Lead Candidate. So on this latest episode, I'm speaking with George Zafidis, who's from Molecule to Market. I wanted to speak with George for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I haven't spoken to someone from a clinical research organisation before, so I thought he might have a unique perspective and career progression um, describing how he's gotten to where he is today. Secondly, George is relatively new to Molecule to Market, joining as director earlier this year, and he's starting their new USA subsidiary um, at the moment. So I wanted to learn how he's firstly navigating this new leadership role in an established business, but also I wanted to learn about his strategy that he's applying for building his new team from the ground up. Enjoy our chat. George is a great guy and he's got a lot of great tidbits for you. My next guest on the lead candidate is uh, George Zafidis. Uh, he's director of Molecule to Market, a clinical research organization where he leads the US arm of the company. So Molecule to Market helps pharmaceuticals and biotech companies manage their clinical trials at all stages of the development pipeline. They're a company that was founded and started in Australia and very recently, about six months ago, um, George uh, started the US arm. So George, welcome to the lead candidate. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we we started everything starts a lot lot more earlier than what it looks like. Um, so I initially spoke to Anne and Robin about molecules for market because I just wanted to pick their brain on what they thought a good CRO would be. Um, and then we 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 came to start working together uh, about six months later. So it's been a great experience. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, early successes. The, uh, we've signed two clients, which was really good. Uh, and we have uh, a team of three people, including myself, already in the US. So there's, there's lots going on and lots of moving parts, but it's part of the challenge of, of leading the, the team and something that was the reason, one of the main reasons why I joined. I love it. Um, so just to give a little bit of information for the people listening, Anne and Robin are the directors and they both founded um, the company, what, about 10, 10 years ago in Australia and they've been working across Australia and the US for a while um, but we'll move into later on about why there was a need to set up a proper U.S. Um, base, a U.S. arm. Um, and also the term CRO, um, in this case, CRO, we're talking um, about the uh, clinical research organisation and not a contract research organisation. So that's really important to um, to say right at the start. Okay, um, before we get into our questions, um, could you give us a rough overview of what a director of a company like Molecule to Market, what that role really means and what it is, the sorts of things that you do. Yeah. Um, so the for Robin and Anne, it's a bit different because they're the founders. Uh, for me, joining 
as uh, a director in the US, it was more of taking the parts of what worked best in Australia or what worked best in Australia, sticking with them in the US as much as we can because Robin and Anne have found success and a lot of successes over there. I think they keep saying 10 years because they don't want to be aged, but it's actually getting close to 12 now. So oh, amazing. They, um, they've got a ton of things. They've had a ton of things going for them, and it's, it's interesting to see those successes grow so much this year, um, especially because it's an, the backdrop of the industry is, is actually a decline, except that you know you're doing well when you're growing at the time when the industry is not doing as well as it was 2020, 2021. Um, the, for my role particularly, it's, it's, it's everything. Um, and it's why it was great to, to get into it. I was looking for an opportunity to learn exactly what happens on the business side. Um, what it means to, to challenge yourself to know what's, what's the best next step. Um, you're constantly thinking about the chicken and egg. Do I need employees and resources or do I need clients? Um, and when do I need them? And, and how do, how do I get what I need, uh, on both, on both aspects? What we, what I found was the best way to do that as the director was to do them simultaneously in, in parallel because every time you think you need something, you probably do need it, so you might as well keep looking for it. Uh, so right now, the, the two main key thing I'm doing is, is looking at recruitment and, and growing our team because having the people gives us the opportunity with our clients. That's what we really found is, is a success. Uh, with our key client right now, who we're actually also the local sponsor for in Australia, they... Um, they initially asked us, what, what's molecule to market? How do you do things? What do you do differently? And that was great. And then their next question was, okay, who do you have available for us? Who will be our PM? And if I hadn't been working on trying to find a PM, um, they, we, we would have stumbled, but I was like, oh, we have project manager, so and so, and they'll be with us October 9th. August 15th. And that was great. And then they were like, uh, a couple of weeks later, we're still just putting the final touches on the agreement. And they're like, Oh, we're just wondering who do you have as a clinical research associate? Like the, the main monitor for all the data and getting out to the site and training the sites. And we were like, we have this CRA. They start with us on September 1st. Uh, and so like it was that as a director, it's that keeping ahead. Um, but I got a lot of practice at being in the CRO industry because I found that as soon as I was in project management, the best way to manage the client is to actively manage them, like try and anticipate what they need next and have it ready before they actually ask you. Um, and other than that, it's it's been exciting. Not as exciting because it's taxes and stuff, but being the lead on, on learning the actual business side. Like I felt like I, I've had my MBA since 2015 and I haven't really been able to utilize it. So 
it's like learning about do we need to submit taxes in states, different states, because our, our team members travel. Um, it's been easier because all of our team is in, based in North Carolina, so it's only one state to report to right now, but effectively we might need to report to other states. Um, and what, what we have identified is the best way to, to manage that is to put a, a great systems in place from the beginning and not get caught out three years from now when, when the California government might say, Hey, you've, you've been here 10 times. You owe us this amount of money. We're tracking exactly where people are going as they're going. And, and then we can know, like, do we hit the threshold where we need to report? So it's a lot of things I'm trying to do at the same time. And then like the, and, but also keep up with my team, like make myself available to them whenever they need help um, and, and be responsive. Uh, I, I know that I have certain rules for myself, which I don't exactly want to apply to everybody, but like if, if the team member sends me an email, they're getting a response within less than a day. So. And that isn't uh, always an option for all people, but that's how I I like to lead and and manage as a director. I love that. That was such a great introduction because you um, have perfectly hit on so many of the things that I want to cover in um, this this chat. So um, that was a really great overview. Thank you. Uh, I like to start by learning about how the person has developed in their in their career. So early on, you mentioned briefly about the fact that you've done an MBA and you haven't had a chance to to use it. It seems like through the roles that you've been choosing over the years that you've really been wanting to get into the business side of things. So you started with a Bachelor of Science and then did an MBA a bit of time later after you'd been working um, for a while um, for a, a big global um, CRO. Did you always want to be in the business side of science or did you learn about that more as you um, started working? Um, initially, all I wanted to do is not be in a lab and I know that's completely <laughs> different from you. But like medical laboratory science, 95% of, uh, of the, the graduates end up working in a lab. Uh, that's why you do that course. And I didn't really realize that to begin with. Um, so I had an opportunity to work with Bristol Myers Squibb, uh, and they have their Australian office in Melbourne. Um, and then from there, I, I started working at PPD. The, so yeah, initially there was some tendencies towards business because I knew that the science side of things is great because it's black and white, it's rules. It's something I understand. Um, the but it's always the business and the customer service side of things. Like I've always toyed with the maybe and been told, I think you might be good at BD. Have you ever thought about trying it? But you mentioned earlier the that whole transition. Like I had, I'll have like ten or ten years experience or fifteen years experience. And, and then you go back to starting at the bottom rung of the ladder in business development. Mm. And I'm like, okay, because I just don't know how to sell. But I think I've always known how to sell because all of my jobs before, while I was at university, 
and that I did part-time even while I was working full-time, full-time, a service or sales oriented. So yeah, I, it's, I've never thought of it until you brought it up, but it's always been moving towards that direction. But science has been the baseline because it, it does offer the, those opportunities to work across so many different areas. Um, and that's, been something that I've really enjoyed because, and I I know like I commend people who start oncology research and, and want to stick with it, but I think some of those people are missing out because the the learning that you get to do with learning different therapeutic areas, um, because you know some of the science is is really good. Um, the business development side of things is great because. Like at the end of the day, I'm a people person. I care more about my people that I work with and the customers. And we, we, I, their product is my product. Their, their money is, is my money. Like I, I have the utmost financial stewardship. So it's, it's great that I've, I've been able to, to get into this, this opportunity. Um, and effectively do business development now with molecule to market. I know I didn't mention it, but. There, are, there is a significant amount of opportunity for myself to do that, even as I'm working in science every day. Um, it's, it's been fun because like LinkedIn used to be a pastime that would, I would, <laughs> you'd be like, am I real? Like, uh, I'm probably wasting time. There's probably something better that I should be doing. But since joining M2M, LinkedIn is, is part of my job. Like I've found two potential clients for us by watching podcasts, like uh, other people like yourself. Um, because just one of them was a client. They mentioned an astronomical figure to do a phase one study in the US. And I just, I wrote to them. I wrote, it's funny when you write really realistic emails, straightforward and direct. I wrote to them, I was like, that number is mind boggling for me. I was like, do you want to chat about options to re either reduce that number if you need to keep it in the US or take that, that, that research to Australia and reduce your timelines and reduce your figures? Um, and, and particularly we are looking at potentially saving that client over 50% of some initial um, initial quotes that they got. That's so amazing. It, it is great to, to be able to still do the science for them because they have a really cool product. It's, it's knee osteoarthritis. It's like the threshold has always been specifically for that disease not to treat the pain, like to treat the underlying condition. And if someone can, can find what it is, and I know I this because when I was working at Axum, they thought they had something. Um, it became too expensive. They, they, they segued into it on, they, they were an early stage biotech, so they needed to put their money into a, a better option for them because there's, there's only a cash runway for a certain amount of research to be done. Um, and then like six years later, they're still trying to find like what is the underlying what can we use to treat the underlying pain uh, that causes uh, the osteoarthritis. There's a few things to unpack in what you've just said there. First off, um, 
that acknowledging how valuable LinkedIn is now for uh, for networking with potential clients, and I imagine finding finding staff like it's a huge way, a huge recruitment tool now. I imagine COVID and the closed um, closed borders and that sort of thing. That sort of life has really helped with the utility of services like those. Um, the other thing that I wanted to get in a little bit more is that you mentioned there about uh, people working in oncology if you want to stay in one area that's great but that's not what you've done you've actually worked across a load of of therapeutic areas um in in yeah all over all over the place even age groups as well like you've worked in pediatrics as well which um is a group of patients rather than i'd say a therapeutic area what do you feel is the value of working across so many different disciplines and um, what perhaps is a limitation of doing that? Um, the uh, the benefit, the true benefit came to fruition most recently um, because you can pick up stuff. Mm. Uh, the you learn how to do things rather than uh, what to do with them. So the we we get opportunities. Uh, one of them being a cellular therapy in oncology. So not and oncology, my experience is mostly early in my career at PPD. So it's most of my time spent in oncology and then infectious disease and then others as as you, as you pointed out. But like oncology is so vast, it's basically it, it could be that every single cancer is a therapeutic area. Um, so cellular therapy is just another small subset. And then we were doing solid tumors. And then they were like, can you find a site in the US? So thinking about oncology sites in the US, hundreds, maybe a thousand. And then like trying to unpack, okay, who has cellular therapy experience? But but also who focus who has cellular therapy experience that focuses on solid tumor? The reason I was able to do that is because I knew the process of how to find sites that I've used over and over again in different therapeutic areas. So, like, you hone the process rather than honing what you know. Um, so I know I knew exactly where to go, the search engine to use, the, the keywords to use, how to break it down, how to, like, investigate just finding people's email addresses like you can literally find anyone's email address online now um and then and then connecting with them um so the we we identify and it's, it, you can make it really easy We're like okay let's go to dana farber for example it's like the most well-known uh, it's like out it's the u.s equivalent of the peter mccallum right in australia so like everyone knows them for oncology studies but they're so busy like they you you'll you'll be challenged for resources so it's identifying other sites that have experience but aren't as busy so they can commit the time you need to your clients research um so even though it's in oncology i haven't worked in oncology for a long time I was able to find three sites that are interested in doing this specific protocol. Um, so it's it's not so much finding a needle in the haystack, but it is 
quite difficult. Uh, like there's there's companies that are set up to do this. Like there's companies like Trinetics, and that's what they do. They'll they'll you pay tens of thousands of dollars in subscription fees to have access to try and find these investigators. Or if you know how to do it, because I've worked across different therapeutic areas and learned the process, you can do it online yourself. So it's, and you mentioned um, drawback. I think that as long as there, there, there could be a drawback, but as long as you focus on being honest, um, I, I know that on my LinkedIn, there's several, um, several therapeutic areas that I have been engaged in, but there's key ones that I really know, like, I, I would say that working four to five years in them, and then you kind of be like, okay, I can give you advice on this. Um, so they're like, when you look at that, I, I would narrow it down to pediatric, which you're right. It's, we called it therapeutic agnostic because it's any therapeutic, because, but a different age group, anyone aged from premature babies up to 18. Um, and then oncology. We've already mentioned uh, CNS or neurology um, and uh, antivirals, anti-infectives are like the four areas where which I have the most experience with, and I've done more than one trial, spent three to four to five or more years working in that area. So if you focus on them, it's great to have the diversity, and I don't feel like there is much drawback. When you look outside of that, the drawback can be you don't know it well enough to be able to give advice. And But the best way to overcome that is just to be honest and uh, just say, I can investigate it for you, but I'm not the expert. I, I'm not, I don't have enough research experience in those other areas. Yeah, I really like that answer. And I guess in that comment about um, developing a process, um, it would be that ability to ask questions. So if you don't know how, how you ask questions, the sorts of questions you ask would all be part of the process um, that you develop as well. I think that would be quite important. Yeah, and one thing I got told is having, having the confidence to have a go. Mm. Um, I, the, if you know 50% of it, it's probably enough for you to, to ask the right questions to, to find the other 50%. Like you can, you can have a go. Like I'll, if I, and back yourself because you know enough, you have enough experience, you've gained enough traction to be able to fill in the gaps of, of what you don't know. So. I like that. I like that. That's really cool. Um, so you started working when after um, Bristol. You went. We mentioned how you worked for PPD, the Global um, Pharma CRO. And you worked there for quite a while, moving from, like, what was it, eight, eight years or something, moving from um, different positions, things like uh, pro yeah. project management, line manager, things like that, um, before you started moving on to more of the directing and consulting roles in the latter, latter stages of career later on. Um, so was it working within that big uh, company was there like a logical progression for roles that you would take or was that something that you had to seek no I, I had a very very logical progression um 
I like to think it was expedited. <laughs> I did have a goal. I did have a goal in joining, and I shared this with my first mentor. I was like, I wanted to be a project manager by the time I was 30. Um, and this was like, because I'm young, or like I went to school young. I graduated young from from uh, from RMIT. I started it at PPD six or eight weeks after graduating. Uh, so I've always, up until now, I've always felt I've been young for what I've been doing. Um, and she just laughed. <laughs> she just was like, I love that. I love it. That's so good. <laughs> but but I did it. I did it. I didn't. No, I didn't do it by my thirtieth birthday. I did it within the year of I was thirty. So I just before my thirty first birthday. Um, so and it is extremely logical. Uh, up until more recently, the that that progression and it's it was like eight different positions over thirteen years. Um, it's very standard. You'll see that most commonly at all the CROs. Um, and that you could, I could name them off now, except it's difficult to keep up with all the mergers and acquisitions and name changes. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's extremely common. Um, one thing that's been great is about our industry is where we're always evolving. People come up with new ideas. Um, a lot of it is based on tradition, but the good companies don't do things the same way just because that's the way they used to do it. It's always like, what can we do better? And we have seen the opportunity because what would happen is the traditional uh, pathway that I took involved being a, a clinical research associate, CRA, which involves travel. Mm-hmm. Like, And it can be extensive travel. There, there were times where... I was away more than I was home. Um, and there were most of the time average is about 50% travel. Um, so that is regardless of sex, regardless of age, regardless of anything, it's, it narrows down the people that can do that because it, anything can keep you from limiting, from not being able to travel. So, and that was everyone. Will, was needing to be a CRA to take those next steps. Like you had to be a CRA to be a line manager of CRAs because how can you teach someone and train them and know they're doing a good job if you don't know the job? Yeah. Um, and people thought it was also the same for project management and clinical management, clinical management being managing the patient's and the data, uh, the data and the sites, particularly project management, you add in the biometrics, the safety, pharmacovigilance, there's, there's the different layers. Uh, and there was the, a good evolution of the business has been that the clinical and the CRA has kind of been like, yeah, you still have to be a CRA because maybe you don't have to do it for as long as I did it, but uh, you can do it remotely now. So, like, there's, there's these options that have been brought in. You can be a remote CRA and not have to travel uh, for three uh, for three years um, and still have that progression. Uh, so that's been a good uh, evolution of the business to move away from what was my process of moving through. Uh, the, another great one has been 
what we found was the best CRAs and the best clinical managers and the best line managers would go to project management, but the skill sets and the personalities don't always align and it, it wasn't a good pathway. Like even though it's like it's just natural steps, you'd see people go back down because they got to project management and be like, just I think you mentioned like what like if people fall into something, mm. you're like you do fall into it because you're moving through what's expected every two years or every three years. Um, and so the great thing about that is there's not all CROs are doing it, but more than one, there's actually a few. They're looking at their administration teams and building pathways for them to become project managers without doing the clinical side. Interesting. Um, because they've realized the personality and skill set coming from clinical doesn't automatically result into being a good project manager. So IQVR was one of the first where I saw that. Um, when I moved to Padion and then Premier acquired Padion, those, both of those companies were doing it. So that has been, a, even though a lot of old schoolers if we're old schoolers, would be like, well, you should do your time. I did it. You should do it. But that's just not how I look at it. Like, it's like, it's, it's, it's a, it's an improvement because you're probably putting a study or a client at, at risk if you're still following this old process where not everyone who reaches project management is, is going to be a success. And that's still probably the cat, but it was more than not everyone. It was like quite a few people get to PM and just couldn't do it. Um, so like what what makes a project manager successful is there's skill sets that you can look for in other areas of the business and, and create a pathway for those people as well to reach project management. Super interesting. Well there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is a good thing. Um, I think one of the first things that identifying so whoever were the first CROs to identify that um, coming from a CRA to, to jumping to a project manager, that that link wasn't working. That's really interesting to me, like identifying that the skill set isn't the same, it's not there. What is a quality that a CRA, that is a uniquely a CRA feature? Like what is it that they're doing that requires them to, or has previously required them to go um, to travel so much? Um and why do you think a person who was really good as a CRA might not like being a project manager? Uh, the easy one is attention to detail. As a as a CRA, you need to have an immense attention to detail. Um, obviously, we have introduced risk risk based monitoring, which has a certain amount of artificial intelligence and algorithms to help us identify problems with the data. But it used to be data point to data point, look at a data point, does it match in the protocol, does it match in the patient chart that you're looking at? So we would be like, I wish we could have three screens traveling, but you can't. You have a laptop open, you have your protocol, you have paper or or the uh, desktop to look at EMR, electronic medical records. So it's to be a good CRA, it's like you have to have attention to detail. Like even 
one of the good best terms is like a subclinical OCD level of attention. So like if you see something, it, it has to bother you if it's wrong. Like if you read, we put out so much content online. Like if, like if I see a LinkedIn post and it's wrong, <laughs> it's just, I'm like messaging the person. I'm like, you've got a typo. You've got a typo. Um, so that, that's, that's, uh, and then the, the problem becomes for those people is, not being able to give that up. So as you move up the chain, you have more people that fall under you. And you can have, like, I was running studies at PPD, and someone asked me, like, how many people do you think you're responsible for? I was like, three, three, four hundred. Like, how do you, how do you, what, how? I was like, well, I have six managers in all the departments when I was a project manager. Each of those managers has a team of, two to six, eight people. Then we go to the institutions and we had, well, you go to the countries, we had 30-something countries, 60 to 70 institutions, 12, six to 12 people working at each institution. It's like you can get to 400 easily. Um, so if I, if I had a, as a project manager, if I need to, if I still focused on the level of detail that I'm focused on, in as a CRA, fail like too much in the weeds. Miss the big picture. Miss miss identif- identifying the risk. You miss staying ahead of what the client needs. Um, You'd also go so crazy. You'd go crazy as well. Yeah, well, Pete, that 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 is right. Pete. It's it's you 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 go crazy. And you you every your your performance drops because of it. Um, it's definitely getting stuck in the weeds because of that that quality of something that makes you really good at something you have to be able to drop it like i still like i said like i still have it but i need to and it takes practice it's like not responding to every every email like you get cc'd on a lot of stuff but letting your team deal with it like unless it's super critical and it's safety concern there's like let them learn as well, giving them the opportunity to learn, letting them un- work out all, all the details, um, teaching them to come to you when they need help. Like that's things that as a CRA, if you're really good at your job, you do everything, you don't rely too much on every people because you kind of like you just go to your sites and you collect all your data for all your patients and you answer all your queries. But you're not really relying on anyone as much. So get moving away from, hey, you can let other people do their job because it's their job. Um, that's like, it's hard for a really good CRA to do that too. That's really important. And that also shows great leadership on um, the people who recognise that that's a pattern that's happening, that's not working, and that even though this is how we've always done it, you, you have to change it. I really like that. Um, so you mentioned you're responsible for like three to four hundred people. When you then moved on to um, a startup um, like Axum Therapeutics, what was the change like there? Like how many people were you responsible for when you moved over to that side of things, and how different was that experience and the leadership that you required um, there? I, I tell this thing every single time, and I actually learned it in the interview. Um, Axum has a great leader, uh, Ario. Um, he actually took them from a single person. Mark joined him soon after. Uh, 
they IPO'd late 2015, and they've just brought the first uh, major depressive disorder antidepressive to the market, the first one in tens of years, like 40 years, 50 years, uh, are all therapeutic to the market this month. They uh, rang, or was it late? It was like last month, they rang the bell, like that prescription is available now. So, and he, like, the in my interview, I had my second interview with Ario, um, and he said, uh, and it was a part of a question, um, the, okay, so you've been at PPD for 13 years, the, and you've had all these roles. Are you ready to do all of that? Everything you've done in the last 13 years on any given day in the next 13 months. And I was like, if I hadn't had that poses me as a question to get me in that mindset. And I, everyone who asked me is like, how do you work for a small business? I go back to that story. It's, it's taking, you need to be able to do everything you already know on any given day. Um, because there's not, there might not be anyone else to do it. Like if I hadn't hired my team, I could be doing everything. And that's what I was doing at Axum because our plan was to, I moved back to Australia to start the Australian subsidiary because they were taking advantage of the research and tax development. They also had a key opinion leader in Australia. So, and build that team out. The, the knee osteoarthritis therapeutic, uh, not was being too expensive to do additional research on. Um, and, not as good a market on the MDD timelines meant the I never we never had enough business to be more than just me. So effectively, it was just me. Um, I had my sites. I had a, at the most I had eight institutions that I worked with, maybe ten depending on time. So it was a much smaller number. Uh, and what I did to keep myself occupied is I had learned at um, at PPD how to how to identify talent, how to conduct interviews, how to review CVs. So I just helped the US team. They was they were growing. They were growing. like I was I hired more I helped hire more people in the US while I was based in Australia. And they would always freak out when they got a, a FaceTime from the Australian number. They're like, wait, I thought you were here. Um, the in the US while well, I was in Australia, then I we, we we didn't hire anyone in Australia. So Well yeah. Well, I guess that's um probably set you up quite nicely for what you're doing now at um at Molecule to Market. So Yeah, uh, I've I've definitely three hundred percent better. Like well, <laughs> if you count hiring myself, <laughs> I've done a lot better. I love that. That's great. Um, I forgot to ask you at the top of the interview. It's a question I ask everyone um, who comes on the podcast. Do you think you were born a leader, or have you become one over the course of your career? Um, I think you. I think you predispose. People are predisposed to be a leader. Like I've been reading this book, and it's like everything's based on genetics. They literally cannot find a trait that's not traced back to some form. Of genetics, and uh, and it's they. I think they use the word predisposed as well. Like through your experience and your knowledge, you can become a good yeah. People who can become a good leader. Um, so I think yeah, it's definitely, um, definitely the latter. Like you, you aren't born a leader. 
because you still have to acquire the experience, the knowledge, the the relationships. I think that's a, a key part is the relationships. It's like, can you rely on people that you've met 10 years ago only for a day or two and still keep in touch with them? And when you need some help with something, like write to them. It's like, I think that is a, a good leadership skill to have is that openness where people will want to help you because you've had a good meeting with them before. So, and you can't be born with that. You can't be born with the relationships you develop from as you go. That's pretty cool. That's a nice mix of an answer. I like that. Um, it leads us quite nicely to what has uh, now become your leadership role um, as uh, one of the directors of Molecule to Market. And I mentioned at the top that you've there's three directors and uh, you are not a co-founder, but um, the other two, Anne and Robin, are co-founders. Um, so how does that work in terms of decisions that you're making so you're responsible for the u.s arm does that mean any decisions in the u.s are yours to make or is it a balance between what everyone needs um, they obviously have worked in the u.s for quite a while while being based in australia how, how does that look what does that look like yeah i think the um one thing to clarify is Anne and robin have done a lot of business development in the u.s so they've worked with a lot of US clients. It's not the same as running a CRO. Like sure. they, they've, and that's that's why they 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 needed this opportunity because they've had clients before come to them and be like, "Oh, we need to run a phase two study, but Australia's not big enough." So yeah, cool. Like that 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 gives you the opportunity. Um, and with that, I've actually forgotten your question. No. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I think I've forgotten my question as well, so that's okay. But I was just more like making the decision, uh, uh, like between oh, the, decision, the three decision of you. tree. Mm. Yeah, mm. it's it's been awesome for me. Um, it's been a good. It's it's balanced, but it's in my favor. Uh, I. It's up to me to run things by them, um, where I feel necessary. Or just make, or just tell them what my decision is. Um, so, with the hiring, I sent CVs. I was like, I like this person. They're like, okay, if you want to hire them and make them an offer, go ahead. But they never even spoke to the, the people I hired. They just trusted that I'd worked, uh, I knew these people. So the that that worked well. Um, the and it, it's it's basically how they approached it. The whole setup. They chose me to help them do this. So why would they all then hinder or handicap things by making decisions that they even for all their experience and all their successes in Australia might be inclined. To not to just sway it slightly in a more conservative way. Um, so it's they've been really good about being hands off on, on decision making. Um, so the team that I've hired is has been me, but like 
the conferences, for example, because it's business development spend and it comes, it could be business development for, for Australia as much as the US. We make the, we make all those decisions together. Um, so if it's, if it's US based, I'll, I'll take whatever I need to them. And I'm most, I'm most, I run pretty much everything by them anyway, but it's, it's usually, hey, this is why I want to do it. So they're, they're aware, like, of, of my, my thought process and reasoning. Um, and then everything else we, we work to, we work on as a team. And it's, it's great because I've, I've learned from them. And I always wondered this. And I remember asking this to a BD person at, at PPD, uh, is there anything you don't bid on? Like, cause you call them bids. Like clients will ask you to do work. And we can take nickname bids, but it's like a request for proposal process and you put your budget together. And they were like, no, no, we, we, we'll, 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 they don't say yes to everything, but they'll put a budget together for everything. And Robin and Anne are like, no, we can, we can tell, we can tell the work we want to do. We can tell the fit and purpose of the clients that work well with our successes. And that's what I'm trying to take from them is. I'm of the mentality it's grow, 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 business, business, business. So many businesses don't make money in their first two years. I don't want to be there. Like I want them to at the time they've invested in me. And I talk about that because like like with my clients with, with Anne and Robin, I care as much about it as if it was my own. Like it's it's how I've always been. So if even if it sounds like I own it, <laughs> it's like it's it's how I manage it. Um, I don't want to be. Yeah, we we probably will lose money in our first year. It's a first year. <laughs> but it's, it's a first year. Yeah, it's a first year. But we um we have enough cash on hand. We like looking at positives, and that's like it circles back to the MBA. Like doing that part of it as well. I know we didn't really talk about it, but that's like it's really. It's really exciting for me. It's like, okay, all right, I know we're not making money. It's pretty straightforward. It's funny because you can come up with all these complex PowerPoints and, and Excel spreadsheets and stuff like that. But you can also just look at a bank account and be like, yeah, we're not making money right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> but like we have, we have clients, we have employees, we have cash on hand. That's like, it's, it's really good for us because as such a young company, five months right now, to have two clients is, is phenomenal. Like we could have had zero right now and been wondering whether we have jobs next month. So to be wondering whether we're going to grow is, is a much better position to be in. To be having the opportunity, and I hope some of these, like actually most of my business development has come up with Australian opportunities, which is awesome because Australia does offer an environment for the earlier clinical trials more so than the latter, just based on population and regulation. So, yeah, the people, either ex-colleagues or people I've approached, like the, the osteoarthritis company, have been for Australian business. They haven't been anything to do with the US side of things. So I also have even though I am the decision maker in the US, I do want to 
do everything I can to make my fit to market better, like overall in Australia as well. Um, because those opportunities grow. Uh, a, a successful phase one becomes a phase two at the end of next year and gives the Australian, I'm te- uh, sorry, the US team then that, that next step. I love that. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said there as well. Firstly, like excellent leadership on Anne and Robin's part to trust the fact that they've made that decision. And maybe that speaks to a bit of project management experience, trust that they've made the decision for you to be able to make um, the calls that you need to make to make the business grow. That's really cool. Um, But also it sounds like I know listening to the, um, uh, what was the podcast, the Huxton, Hurton and Moxley podcast? No, I forgot. There we go, there we go. Um, Listening to that podcast, um, it was evident that, you wanted to start your own CRO before joining Molecule to Market. So it sounds like you've got the benefits of starting your own CRO without, like with still having the support of the uh, established business behind you as well. Is that a fair assessment of the situation? Yeah, and I think I actually said on on that podcast, it it was because of uh, the question I asked Anne and Robin was like, what's if you just give me one piece of advice, what is it? And they were like, "Don't do it by yourself." That was that. Then they were, and the, and the two the two links to that is, it's really lonely and really hard. And that I already knew that. I was like, "But what I didn't know, and what really stuck with me, they're like, when you finally do do well, which you will, you won't have anyone to celebrate it with. They were like, your family totally." will understand a little bit, but like they'll understand the, the level of, oh, you did well, but not the actual research or what you've done. Um, so this, you can't, you don't have anyone to celebrate with. And if you, you've met Robin and Anne, like you, that, that resonates with them as like they're, they have each other to celebrate the wins. Um, and they have each other to lean on when, when things need to be done. So. That was that. That was the turning point of. Okay, I definitely need. I don't want to do this by myself. <laughs> so yeah, no. I'll, if if I hadn't if I hadn't joined them, I um, I probably wouldn't have. I definitely wouldn't have started my CRO by myself. There's there's no way. Yeah, that's um that's really interesting. Do you think you've missed out on anything by not starting your own CRO? No, no. Um, I I think that. The it, it's just part of my process of of continuous improvement, um, impro- increasing skill sets for something else. Uh, the the I I didn't have this right, and they've given me an opportunity. Uh, I make the most of it, and wherever that leads in the future, that that leads me to what is the next step. Um, and that's how I've always looked for different things. So majority of my early career in research was phase two, phase three, which is the biggest studies. But I realized that phase one studies were huge in Australia. So while I was in Australia, I found an option opportunity to become a consultant to add that skill set. So it's just, and that it's always being able to reflect on how do I get better? Um, and this gives me an opportunity to become a better business leader. Uh, I always, I think, I thought I was already a good leader from an operations perspective, but 
and without without as much risk um, and with with the the, the added benefit of, of learning from people who've done it before. So. Amazing. And we should say Robin and, and um, uh, Robin Hansen and and Deluca um, sound like pretty amazing people to work for. So that's that's really cool. Um, the next part of the podcast, I wanted, I wanted to talk about um, the recruitment. Like you're going through this big recruitment phase, and you just touched on that before about how um, you're lo- you're potentially going to be losing money in your first year. But right at the top of the podcast, you said how you're recruiting people so that you can have people there for when you're approaching clients they ask do you have this person do you have that person and you can say yes 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 um so your process of hiring it sounds like you are hiring people that you know is that quite important for you at this stage of the business yeah it's so molecule to market australia's uniqueness or unique selling point is is being small being nimble but being the most experienced CRO uh, on, on years of experience. So average, like if there's, they have nine full-time employees in Australia now. Uh, if you look at the average of experience, it's in the double digits, high double digits. Like I don't think it's, uh, it's probably just under 20, uh, probably over 15. So the, but and we're trying to replicate things. It's like, what was successes that that have helped Michael to market grow to what they were in the first 10 to 12 years um, as as we can in the US. But in the US, like those, if those people who have been in the industry because it's so much bigger for that period of time don't, there's not as many of those people that want to do this this hybrid kind of flexible role where you're a project manager and you're a CRA and you just own one study and it could be only you. Um, and so, and and plus they're expensive. <laughs> Look, if you, if you do find them, they're really expensive. So it comes down to the dollars. So what we what we identified is that if we stick to working with people we know. Um, that helps us uh, secure our quality that our clients would be used to based on the experience um, because the, the sum of all the parts can be worth more than just that one person who has 20 years experience. So that, that's what we've, what we've stuck to. And that's the problem I'm trying to overcome right now is that the being small is a big risk. Um, with all the layoffs, people are skittish right now. I think Meta laid off 11,000 people mm, today. They did, yeah. Twitter, yeah. Twitter was five, six, seven thousand a few days ago. I wish they were in clinic. Actually, no, Meta has a life sciences. I might need to look some of those people up. That's a good um, idea. Opportunity. Yeah, there you go. Google, <laughs> no, Google and Facebook have. Uh, a small, small teams, but they do do research in pharmaceuticals and life sciences uh, and devices. That's how they know their devices work. Um, so the it, it's like it's it, it's I, I, like I talk about it. It's like I'm tapped out. Like tapped out everyone I know. Like right now, <laughs> it's just like I'm like okay, what do we do? So right now, 
what I'm focusing on is just building more relationships. Um, I did put an ad out and I got zero qualified candidates. Wow. Probably should have pa- probably should have paid for an ad. <laughs> but this was like I was just no, it's like it's just to see because you need to learn. I was like, okay, is it worth paying for an ad? And I did learn that. Um, so the and I did get qualified. I I joked though. I did get candidates that are qualified as senior kind of research associates, but I didn't. I don't think that was the right fit for our company. And I can kind of tell like who I'm looking for. Um, but I got a lot of good people without experience and I actually created some folders on when I thought they would be worthwhile hires like and I got like a fourth quarter 2023 folder a first quarter 2024 and I reached out to all of them and I offered an opportunity to chat about the role chat about getting into the industry um I've been uh slowly going on like well actually I don't have to because I Tara and one, one of the recruiters from PPD posted something about their CRA Academy opening up again. So I, I sent that to all of them. That um, So it's just develop, redeveloping that virtually, which is different, but it's also a way to know people now. Uh, it's probably the most common way. Um, and a lot of the other thing I'm doing is Huxley, well, James, and Lucy are awesome recruiters. So the uh, obviously the, I've been on their podcast to help them and, and help get Molecule to Market some some coverage. But I've also kept in touch with them, like and, and building a rapport and, and learning from from them and, and watching them and seeing what they do. Um, Lucy, Lucy was. Uh, preparing to go out on maternity leave. These guys have just started uh, a LinkedIn Live podcast, uh, a LinkedIn Live uh, series that they do every Monday. Um, and sorry, Lucy and James uh, uh, are uh, partners, their husband and wife. They're awesome. They live in the UK. They work, their business is focused in the US. And I just threw my hat in a ring. I said, can I jump in for Lucy? any of the topics that's cool that you are we're planning and the next topic is how to ace your next interview um so we're just trying to share experience on helping people be more comfortable and get them to realize that and this is what i've always done to make my interviews a success is get them to realize that they need we want them to want to work for the company as much as they want to work for us like it's it's we don't want like if if people are taking the time to interview you if it doesn't work out it's actually it's not a good thing like it's not like we get happy because we're like oh another one struck out it's the complete opposite and if i like someone and i want them to work for for me they have to like me just as much so they have to ask just as many questions give them give themselves the opportunity to, to share their their experiences um, because it's not just answering star questions or telling us about your what makes you good 
like it's it's the it's finding those unique opportunities where there's a mutual beneficial relationship that can be had between an employer and employee. Yeah, I like that. I think um, it makes me reflect on in the previous um, episode. I spoke with um, Will Jorgensen, who's from um, Silo, which is a startup based in Australia, and um, how you get that balance right between recruiting people who have um, a specific expertise that you're after versus people who will work well in your team. And I imagine the benefit Uh of recruiting people that you know, particularly when you haven't got a team, so you don't know how the team's going to work well together, that potentially could mitigate some of the risk because you you kind of know how that person works and you you can think about how they might work with other members in your potential team as you're building yeah and we're, we're taking that the next step because i've seen for at axon and when i was at ppd i started at the ppd melbourne office when it was like 13 14 people and it grew to 100 you kind of see what what changes happen um so to take that to the next level, our team of three now, like we all have to say yes on the next hire. Like I'm not gonna, we're way too small to, to bring someone in that someone doesn't get along with. So, and I've told them, and I, I told them that during the interview process was like, you guys are gonna help us build the team as well. So like you need to tell me, yes, you can work with this person, whoever the next person is and you, can't keep that going forever, but I've definitely seen where it's a good perspective to have, at least until you get into the double digits of employees, where then you have a team of management people that can kind of make that decision on behalf of everyone. So like if I have three managers instead of just three employees, those three managers can make an effective decision instead of one person meeting nine different people and everyone having to vote yes. So. Yeah, no, I really like that. That that sounds like a really smart strategy. Um, so we're at the end of this interview, but I ask three questions to um, everyone who comes on the show um, just to close close it off. So um, the first question, it just requires a couple of quick answers, uh, is who do you learn the most from or who have you learned the most from about leadership? I Alicia Tally Rothner from PPD. Uh, she's not a PPD anymore, but... She was one of my, uh, she was never really my manager. Uh, We actually met each other through a running group that PPD had, and she helped me a lot uh, with my career, and I learned a lot from her style. Um, From back back in the day, uh, Nick Karras, who's another Greek, which is awesome, but uh, uh, he was my security manager. I used to work at the Forty Pub. Nick ran security. Uh, he has dominant uh, guardian services. He actually works at the Conti now. Um, he runs. He runs the. So he's always been focused on the Monaco Peninsula. That's where he grew up. Um, and yeah, I and I still keep in touch with both of them. So yeah, they're definitely two of the leaders that's that am- I'd say is biggest influence of me. That's amazing, and I love that they have come from not necessarily a direct. Um, line of work in, in where you've gone like obviously um, the, the first person you mentioned was at the business but you met her through an outside means that's really great I think that can be really important for um, your own leadership development getting outside influences to help you out um, what are you grateful for that being a leader has provided 
uh, the opportunity to help people get into an industry which has so many benefits. Um, when like the it's it's difficult because you're always that that you you had it perfectly before. Someone who's experienced and can do the job, or someone who has the personality and, and can fit really good into the industry and grow. Like, um, so being able to hire those second people, like that, that people that fit into that group, uh, the obviously difficult for us to do now at three people, but like at, at Padion and, and just as we transitioned to Premier, we, we had, uh, we brought five people into the industry. Um, one of them came from, uh, Peloton, which is, uh, PT background, uh, Ama- Abby, Abby Pearson, amazing, uh, and perfect timing for her because a few, they wanted to bring her down to Austin to move her into the office. Had she not taken the job with us, she would, she would have been one of the people let go when Peloton and F45 and everyone did all their big layoffs earlier wow. this year. That's really So cool. yeah, giving, and it's just the for for educational purposes, like I don't know how to describe it. There really is no glass ceiling for if you can if you're willing to continue education, continuously building your skill set, um, you can take a science degree and really have a really good career um, in the in the industry. Uh, and and be financially sound, like financially sound as well. Like, I love that. It's really awesome. Yeah. That's a really positive um, way to, to help us wrap up. Um, what would you want to achieve to feel like a successful leader? Uh, I used to think it was having a C title, a C-suite title. And now? I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's that anymore. I think for me right now, it's being able to like I've I've always felt that I've always been really good at what I do with people at work, and it's being able to 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 do that all the time. Uh, so like I started coaching my daughter's soccer team, uh, so we took it through three of her junior seasons, and that kind of gave me a perspective. I was like, I can do this all the time. Like I can be like the all the time and, and help people all the time and that that's probably going to be better than having any any title like I was I, like after the PM thing by 30 it, it had been chasing that C-suite title um, and I kind of since joining Market to Market that, that's not as high on the agenda I love that. That's a really great, great spot to finish, I think. Um, so, George, thank you for your time on The Lead Candidate. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's really clear from our chat how important team culture must be for George, and you can definitely hear how he's people-focused um, and given the importance he places on his relationships with not only his team members but his clients as well. Head on over to the Lead Candidate website and I will share a link to the Huxley and Morton podcast that he mentioned as well as um, some other useful information about today's episode.